we read last week Rachav and the, and the spies. She, she told them her assessment of the people's morale. She asked them to swear to do her chesed ve'emes, kindness and truth, that, she, that, that when the Jews invaded and conquered Yericho, they would preserve her life and the lives of her family. And then it said, we ended with Pasuk Tezvav, it says, Vataridem, Perik Beis, Pasuk Tezvav, Vataridem b'chevel be'adachalon, she lowered them via a rope be'adachalon from, from the window. And it says, the, the Pasuk explains, how did she do that, how did that work? It says, her house was in Kir and Choma, or both in the Kir often means a wall. In this case, it means either the Matiosian says Bakosil. They translate it as the town wall. Maybe Kir as in as in city, but uh, was in the her house was in the wall. and she lived in the wall. Sounds sounds redundant. It sounds repetitious. That was just repetitious, I guess. It says she lived in the wall, and, and, and her house was in the wall, and she lived in the wall. We mentioned briefly, I didn't express it that clearly, we mentioned briefly an understanding of the Gona Vilna that she actually had a double house, a house, comp- a house comprising two apartments. One apartment, part of the house, was actually in the city wall, and the other half was abutting the wall, adjacent, protruding out of the wall, in, in, inward, inward really, inward from the wall into the city proper. So the, the wall surrounded Yericho, she had, she, part of her house was in the wall and part extended into the city proper. So the, the Gona Vilna is addressing a question that someone raised also last week, that it says that the spies told her that, she, that she, her instructions were, if she wanted to save her life, that she would have to gather, she herself would have to gather herself and all her family into her house and hang the thing from the window. To hang the Tikvas Kodashani. We're going to read about. Uh, we're going to read about that again soon. That the, she had to hang the the, the, the the sign from the window, and they would leave leave her leave everyone in that apartment alone, her family alone. But if the walls of the Yericho were 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 sent into the ground, the, the great miracle Hashem did. The the, 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 wall, the walls were gone. So then, how would she have survived if she was in the wall? So the Gon says that's what this pasuk is clarifying here. That. She had these two apartments, really, and when she lowered the spy, she had to get them out of the city, so that was obviously in the part of the house that was in the wall itself. But uh, she sometimes lived there, but she also had this other apartment, and in, when the Jews conquered Yericho and the, wall, and the walls collapsed, so, she, so she, uh, she stayed in the apartment that was not part of the wall, and the, her, half of her house collapsed, but, her other, but the part where she was staying, the part that extended uh, outside the wall, that's when... Uh, that's when that, that that that's where she was, and that's how she survived. So now, after she lowered them via the chevel, so it says that the it says she she, she gave them she, she they, had, they had a final conversation. They they, they they had further conversation now. It says it says that the, the, the mafarshim mafarshim have different explanations for why exactly she had to lower them via a rope and not just uh, and open the door and let them out. So some say because the, the gates were locked. The, the, the city gates, we said earlier, the, 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 some understand the city gates were locked and you couldn't go in or out. The, the Matsuda Stavid says, the gates of the city were locked. You couldn't go in or out the normal way. You had to go out through the... You, you, had, to, you had to go out through the... You had to go out through the window. Others say... Others say that they, they, she wanted to keep this quiet. She, she was trying to hide from the king of Yericho. She had already misdirected him by giving him, uh, sending him on a wild goose chase as men, but she also didn't want people to realize that she was harboring spies. They could still catch her the next day as well. 
So the Radak says she didn't want the neighbors to know if they would go out the door of her house. Again, we saw a different shot than which door was locked, the city door, the house door. If she would start opening her doors in the middle of the night and people would be going in or out, and the neighbors, nosy neighbors, would hear. And that's why she let them out from the window, and uh, that's, why, that's why she would let them out, uh, let, let them out through the window, and that's, uh, that's what she did. So she told them, apparently after, the, after this, after she let them out, maybe it's out of order, the psukim, but she told them, she said, go to the mountains, there, 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 are, there are searchers, there are the king's men are looking for you, so hide, go to the mountains and, uh, to avoid the, the, the dragnet. You shall hide there three days, though that was her recommendation. I'd show Herodifim until the pursuers uh, retreat and give up and are, are recalled to the city. Once they're gone, you'll be able to go back on the roads and return to the, the Jewish camp. So what is this about three days? How did she know when the pursuit would be called off? You know, she, she wasn't an officer in the king's, uh, in the king's, in the king's service. So where did she get this figure of three days? So there are, there are several explanations. The simple pshat certainly is what the Radak says. The, the, the Pshutosh Mikra is, he explains that, how do we get three days? He says, he says that, Al-Derech HaPshat, because Mi-Derech It was a logical, it was just, uh, it was just a, a, a shrewd or a, a logical guess, because from Yericho to the Yarden to the Jordan River was one day's travel, or a little bit more. And... Uh, that and 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 she thought she calculated it'll take them you know, the, the the pursuers will take them a day or so to get to the yard and they'll spend some time looking around that area and then they'll return for another day so the, the search party will be out there she figured based on the distances involved the search party will be out there for about three days so she guessed she said give it three days and then you should be safe to uh, to, to reappear Rashi Rashi brings a midrash that says she said this with Ruach Hakodesh she had a spark of Ruach Hakodesh. That they would, that the pursuers would take three days and then return. Rashi's bothering. How did she know? Where did, how, how, where did she get the three-day figure from? So Rashi says Ruach Hakodesh. Radak, Radak brings this midrash that it was Chazal say that she had Ruach Hakodesh, but he says otherwise. How did she know? How would she have gotten this number from? In three days. Pshat, the, the pshat is that it was just a guess. So the, the, this is a tension that we have whenever we learn Chumash Tanakh in general. The tension between drush and pshat. It's very hard to define what exactly the difference between Midrash and Pshat is. It sounds intuitively obvious, but it's not always so clear. Sometimes we say that Pshat is studying the text itself, and Drush is, uh, Drush is when you have to bring things that are not, when you add things to the text that are not uh, clearly indicated in the text. That's one element of Drush and Pshat, but, but also Pshat is very often more down-to-earth. It involves fewer miracles, it involves you know, fewer duex machinas, it involves a more mundane, down-to-earth interpretation of events. Drush often involves miracles and so on. In this case, you know, the, the, yes, the Drush obviously is more miraculous. She had Ruach HaKodesh, but arguably the, arguably the Drush is very much in the text. Three days. How did she know three days? God must have told her. Others say she guessed three days. Okay. We have, we have different approaches. There is a third shot. There, there was a third way to understand the... Third way to understand this, this idea of three days and that, that she had a, a theological principle that the tzaddikim are not going to have to suffer for more than three days. Tzaddikim don't, Hashem doesn't make them suffer generally for more than three days. I guess they were suffering, they were out there in the, the mountains without a, without a house, without a roof over their shoulders, without a bed. So, the, so, so for, Hashem wouldn't do that to them for more than three days. So again, she, this is similar to the idea of Chazal that it was Ruch HaKodesh, but it was a theological assumption Hashem wouldn't do that to her. Pashup Shad, of course, if she was just guessing, 
Like the Radak says, she was guessing that after three days you should be safe. This machlokas, that when somebody, when somebody makes a, a statement, uh, a confident statement about something that they have no personal, sure way of knowing about it, reminds me of a, uh, a machlokas, one of my favorite uh, discussions in the Parashanut of Tanakh. And that is the discussion among the Rishonim about the story in, in, in the end of Sefer Shmuel Aleph, the story about Shaul and the Palaso, Shaul and the witch. What happened there was, at, uh, at, at the very end of Shaul's life, shortly before he died in a, in, in, in a battle, in a terrible defeat at the hands of the Plishtim, so, so Shaul was... Uh, God was, was angry at Shaul for certain sins he had committed, and Hashem was giving him the cold shoulder, so to speak. Hashem was not willing to speak to him with Nevoah and so on. And Shaul was desperate to, to get some kind of communication from Hashem to find out what would, what, what would happen. On the, the, he was on the eve of this great battle, and he wanted to know what was going to happen, what was, what was in store for him. So finally, he, he, he contacts a Balas Ov. Ov, Ov and Yedoni are, are, are two types of necromancy or witchcraft mentioned in the Torah. He finds a Balas Ov. Who can? Who he asked to conjure up the spirit of Shmuel? Shmuel Hanavi was his great mentor, the one who had appointed him originally, the one who had eventually told him, after his failure to deal with Amalek properly, Shmuel had told him that that, that Hashem is angry at you, and Shmuel had turned away from him and appointed David Amalek at, at Hashem's command. So Shmuel was his great teacher and his great mentor. Shmuel had passed away already, but Shaul was desperate to know what was going to happen in this battle. So he had the Balasov, this woman, this witch. He had her conjure up the shade of Shmuel from the dead. So the woman does so, the Pasuk says. She, she brings the spirit of Shmuel, and Shoal asks what's going to happen. So Shmuel tells him uh, the grim tidings, the battle will be lost, and you and your sons will die, and you'll be with me in Shemai by tomorrow. So what really happened in the story of the Balasov? So the traditional approach that most people know is that she really was a witch. She, she really was a necromancer, could really speak to the dead and then communicate with the dead. And she really brought up the spirit of Shmuel. And that's apparently the opinion of Chazal. The, the, in the time of the Gaonim, people are often not aware of this, in the time of the Gaonim, the, the, the heirs of the, of, of the sages of the Talmud in Bavel, in the time of the Gaonim, the Radak reports that the Gaonim universally rejected the idea that this witch had any power. That they, said that, that they, they universally rejected the idea that, that a witch can, can contact the spirits of the dead. They, they just felt that was philosophically, theologically uh, untenable. They, they said no such thing. So what actually happened in the story of Shaul and the witch then? If, if, if she had no power to do anything, the, the Navi pretty clearly describes the, her as uh, communicating with Shmuel and, and predicting the future. So some Gaonim said that that was a special nace from Hashem. She was really a fraud. She was a charlatan. She, she did things that people do today. She just manipulated people into believing that she was communicating with the dead the same way different mediums and spiritualists do today. But in this case, Hashem wanted to give Shaul a message. He wasn't willing to talk to him through the normal channels of Nebuah and Nervatumim, so he gave him a message by uh, this woman. The woman was just as surprised as anybody else because she was a fraud. She was planning on doing her whole fraud. She had a guy hide in a closet and throw it and pretend he was the voice of, of Shmuel. But, but she, she, the whole thing was uh, she was shocked when, uh, when Hashem actually sent Shmuel's voice down to talk to Shaul. But she was, she was a fraud. Other, there was another sheet of the Gaonim, though, Shmuel ben Chafni Gaon, an even more radical view. He says, yeah, she was absolutely a fraud. The, 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 all the Gaonim agree, the Radak says, that the, that the, that the witchcraft, and this kind of witchcraft, is sheker b'chazav, hevel b'tow, it's nonsense, and, and fraud, fraudulent, and, and, and lying. 
So what happened in the story? Rashul ben Chafni said the entire story from beginning to end was bogus. Shmuel did not appear. Nobody spoke. The woman had her assistant hiding somewhere and throwing his voice and, and, and fooling people into thinking. Everything the woman said was, uh, was, was bogus. So when the, when the Nabi describes the Shmuel as appearing, it mean, that's, it's, 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 it's a narrative technique. It's relating it from Shmuel's perspective, from Shaul's perspective. What, what, what Shaul thought he saw was Shmuel appearing. Never actually happened. It was all, it was all a sham by this woman. So he deals with the question, and this is how, why it's relevant to us. He deals with the question, if it was really all a fraud, if it was really all, if she, if she was just, uh, if she was just uh, a complete uh, liar and con artist, then how could she accurately predict what would happen the next day? She correctly uh, predicted the battle. They would lose. Shaul and his sons would die. How did she know? So he says she guessed. She was, uh, you know, she, she followed the political and military situation. She saw that things looked bad for the Jews. She guessed. That, that's how they work often. They, they make guesses if they're sometimes right or sometimes wrong. Part of the skill is to make the predictions vague enough that whatever happens, you can say that, that, that that's, that's what I meant. Anyways, he says that, yeah, even though she, even though she gave a remarkably uh, accurate and specific prediction, she guessed, and she, she guessed it right. So that's what uh, Radaxa's push-up shot is here, that when she said Shloshis Yom, she was guessing. That, uh, that's all she was doing. But others learned that if she said it with such confidence, with such a flat assertion that you need three days, it must have been Ruch HaKodesh, or it must have been some kind of... Uh, Theological argument she had. Okay. Right. So, <laughs> so, so that the suggestion is that that when a king talks to you, if you want to stay, if for your own uh, self-interest, you want to predict usually the king's success. And indeed, that it's true. We we find and say from Malachim. I don't know if we'll get to Shmuel and Malachim or how long it'll take us to get there, but we find in Malachim that the V.A. Sheker, the, the, there was a plague of false prophets of the of Devadazar and the false prophets, they typically did predict, I think, success, military success, and everything would be uh, wonderful. And they typically, it, it, was, it was the true Nevi'im, the Nevi'im like Yeshaya and Yermia. Yermia is the Jeremiah, the prophet of doom. It was the true Nevi'im who told the kings what they did not want to hear, that, that you're sinners and God has turned away from you and God will bring terrible, terrible punishments and humiliations and defeats. Yermia was thrown in jail because the kings did not want to hear that, that everything was going to be terrible. They threw him in jail. They killed Zechariah. Zechariah said, you're a shayim, you have to reform, and, and they, they killed him for that. So the, yes, yeah, so the, 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 the Nevi'im, the, those, who had a, those who were unprincipled and had a good survival instinct, typically would tell the kings uh, what they wanted to hear, that things would be good, and that things would, uh, the, king was, the king was mighty and great and would be successful. Yeah, so it is interesting that if she was a fraud, even if she was a, an astute political observer, even if she really believed that things would be, uh, things would be uh, a, a disastrous, it's still, it is interesting that she would actually say that. Because she might have reasoned, if the king is dead, you know, if I predict good and he dies, then he won't be around to bother me. And if he, and if he wins and, and I predicted doom, he'll be upset at me. All right, it's a, it's a, it's a good point, certainly. But that's where Ashul ben Khafni learns that, 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 that she had simply been guessing. Was she a Jew? Um, good question. I don't know. I kind of assumed that she was, but I, I don't know if that's explicit. There is a whole discussion there because it says that when Shaul asked for a Balasov, they said Shaul had had a crusade where he had exterminated Balasov. In accordance with the Torah, he had tried to eradicate witchcraft. He didn't have an easy time finding a Balasov, and even this one, she didn't want to talk to him at first because she was afraid that uh, she was afraid that she would get in trouble with the king. He had to assure her that that she was that she was safe. So yeah, so I, I don't actually know. It's a good question. Maybe if we get to that story, we'll look into it further. 
I don't actually know explicitly. The reason I think a midrash that that she was Jewish, that she was related to, I forget the exact details, that she was related to some other figure in Sefer Shmuel there, a mother, a mother of someone in the someone famous in the story. But I, I don't, I don't know for sure. We'll have to keep that in mind if we, if and when we get to Sefer Shmuel. Right. So as Lewis is pointing out, in, in, in answer to Daniel's question, if she was, if she was not Jewish, she might have just been so bitter and so, uh, so, so had such negative feelings that she wanted to hurt their morale. Maybe she thought she could influence the battle by, 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 by injuring their morale and trying to, trying to get them to be pessimistic and give up. Yeah. Also a good point, certainly. Right. So, 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 so Daniel's pointing out that Tishol had already been guilty of the massacre of Novir Akonim, the Ormatumim, the Kohanim, who uh, there's actually a midrash that makes this point explicitly. It says. So, so, so Daniel's suggesting people were, were scared of Shaul and they didn't want to cross him. They saw what he had done to people he perceived yeah, as his enemies. Beyond that, there is a midrash, though, that has a more positive spin on it. It says that Shaul had, the, had, had a, a fine conscience. So he, the, the, the Psukim say that, that Shaul tried to contact uh, Nevi'im and so on. And it doesn't say, I think, the Urim Batumim. It says Shaul was simply embarrassed. Shaul felt so guilty at what he had done to the Kohanim. He, he couldn't bring himself, I think it says, to contact the Urim Batumim because he felt so guilty about what he had done to the, to the Kohanim who, who were the ones in charge of the Urim Batumim. But yeah, so these are all certainly, uh, certainly, uh, you know, certainly sharp observations about the story. Certainly when we get to that story, we, we, we can discuss this further. In the meantime, though, this is Rachav. It says that she, three days, whether it was Rachav Kodesh or a theological argument or simply a good guess, that's what she told them. There might be a, a more... Reasonable explanation of the, the, how she knew. She was obviously a well known uh, service figure in the city. And service, I have no doubt, the nobility and the generals, and she was uh, a good spy in that regard. She, she knew what their normal procedures would be. So that, that's a very good point. So, so Lewis is suggesting a fourth shot in, in, in how she knew three days. We already saw, <coughs> as Lewis is noting, we already saw that one reason she was so valuable to the spies was because she was very well connected. Rashi brings a midrash that she consorted with kings and princes all over the place. So, so the, at, at the time, we focused on her, on, on her uh, she had her finger on the pulse of the, of, uh, of the morale and the, the overall attitude. She may have had you know, tangible and concrete uh, militarily useful information as well. If, if she was involved with the security chiefs and forces, she may have had she may have had knowledge of their protocols and their 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 uh, their operations uh, gu- operational guidelines as well. So perhaps uh, from from her sources, from her contacts, you know, she, she she knew about their. Uh, you know, someone might have told her, "I made an appointment. You know, I need three days because we're on because we have a we have a three day deployment on a search party or something." So yeah, that's another interesting idea. I didn't see that in any of the commentaries, but I, I agree that that, that 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 that's also a certainly a uh, a, a plausible approach as well. So that's what she told them. That's the hide for three days. And then the, and then the people, the, the, the spies, the, the people spoke to her. They responded, So we will be innocent of violating your shvua. Mepharshim have different ways of understanding what they meant by innocent. Basically, they, they, they were, they were going to clarify the conditions under which they would consider themselves bound by their promise to her and the conditions in which they would not be bound. The phrase, 
Mefarshim explain different ways. It boils down to largely the same thing. So the Rashi says, means it's up to you. You have to, you have to follow the, the rules that we're laying out. And if, if, if you do, then we'll, we'll, we'll be bound by our Shavuah. If you don't follow the rules that we're giving you, we, that, we, that we will not be bound by the Shavuah. The, it doesn't actually say that they, that they took the Shavuah, but the assumption is when they said, it never says they actually swore. But when she asked, she told them, swear to me, she said, he shavu nali, back in Pasekut Beis, and they said, nafshenu sakteichem lamus, uh, our, you know, we'll give up our lives for you, that, that, that was the equivalent of a shvua. When she was saying that we'll, we'll protect you with our lives, that was implicitly saying, we swear, we, we, we commit ourselves solemnly to uh, preserve your life. Mekiyam means that the... Mekiyam means, right, it's up to you, you have to do the os, and uh, if, 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 you, if you do... If you do what you're supposed to do, then we'll follow our shvua, and if not, not. Matudas David says, we want, to, we want to be clear of any violation of the shvua. We want to be nucky. We want to avoid any violation of the shvua. So, and that's why we can explain to you exactly what we expect you to do. This was their expression, that, that we wish to keep our shvua. We wish to, uh, to, to, to do exactly what we said and follow our shvua. And therefore, we want to establish some, some rules, some, some protocols for how we're going to do this. From this shvur that you made us swear, and the rules are going to be as follows: We are going to enter the land. We're going to invade uh, and, and conquer the land. As They told her that there, there was a piece of a piece or a, a, a string or a piece of cloth, a red piece of cloth. Shani, shani means red in Hebrew. We, in, the, in, in the Mishkan, we have talat shani, one of the ingredients of the garments of the priestly vestments, the big dekuna, where it's talat shani. It's actually uh, this, it's seasonal this time of the year. In the Yuchatayachem Kashani Kashela Yalbinu, the, the, the Navi promises the Jewish people, if your sins shall be scarlet, if they'll be, if if Chatayachem, your sins will be Kashani, will, will be scarlet, nevertheless, Kashela Yalbinu, that God will, will provide you with atonement if you do tshuva, and God provides atonement. Kashela uh, Yalbinu, so Shani, Shani is a word for red. Hebrew has various words for red. We have uh, the, the more common word, obviously, is Adam. Which, which means red, but shani, shani, at least in the context of textiles, is often a uh, bright red, a scarlet red. So chut means a thread, and, you know, chut means a thread, or a, uh, a string, or a thread. In, in, in the, we have it all over the Mishnah, we have it in Tanakh as well, that Avram says, uh, the, Avram tells the kings of stone, and so on, he tells them, in the chut vad strochnal, I will take nothing from the plunder, I, I saved you, and I want no uh, reward, I will not take uh, a thread, or a, or a shoelace, Nothing. The chut is, in that sense, is a small thing. Tikvas is a hard word to translate. Tikvas, the word tikvas, uh, the, the most common in, in modern Hebrew, certainly, the, the word tikvas, tikva, is, yes, and the most common use of tikva is hope. The Israeli national anthem today is a ha-tikva, meaning the hope. Uh, tikva is, uh, tik, the most common use of the word tikva is hope. It's unclear exactly what it means here. Rashi says it comes from the word kav v'chevel. Kav in Hebrew means line. Uh, even in modern Hebrew, kav means line. Uh, a bus line in Israel, we talk about the kav misbar, this, or the kav, uh, kav whatever. So a kav means a line, just like an English line can mean a line. A line can mean figuratively uh, a bus route which travels in some kind of line. So, so kav means line in Hebrew. So Rashi understands that tikvas is from the word, is from the root word of kav. So it's basically a synonym for chut, a string. A string is like a long line or a kav. So basically take this string of, uh, of scarlet something and you're going to hang into the window. The Farshim have other interpretations of the word, uh, 
of the word tikva. The, the Radak says, brings a few pshatim. Kav shazer, it means something that's, that's twisted and made into threads. He brings another pshat that uh, a border means the edge or the hem of a garment or the, the edge of a garment. The, the, there are those who actually understand that it means, there are those who actually understand that it means hope. The, there are those who understand that they were telling her, your only hope, if you, if, if you hope to live, then put this uh, chutzani in the window. If you want to have any hope of staying alive, make sure you put this, uh, you put this, you put this chutzani in the window. Additionally, I mentioned the famous pasuk, they were alluding to her, they were hinting to her that uh, besides saving you physically, she had, Rachav had apparently done shuva, she had come to realize that her conduct, uh, her professional conduct had been sinful, they were telling her, don't worry, you have hope, you have, uh, you, 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 even though Chutshani, even though your sins are like Shani, like the Navi Yishaya tells us, you have hope, that Hashem accepts Tshuva and you don't have to worry about it. This, you can, you, you can be confident that Hashem will accept your Tshuva. And this ties into a theme we've been discussing the last few weeks. It's, it's not exactly clear from a pure Pshat perspective, even if we assume she was a Zona, it's not exactly clear how negatively the Torah looks on, on harlotry, on, on prostitution. For a Jew, it's prohibited, but a lot of things are prohibited for Jews, which aren't considered so fundamentally immoral. You know, today, the attitudes in the West have evolved. You know, for years, obviously, for centuries, prostitution was viewed as uh, immoral. Today, you know, the, 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 the progressive view, the liberal view is, as long as women are doing it of their own free will, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a woman's choice. It's, we consider it immoral, obviously, but it's not entirely clear. We mentioned that Rishonim argued whether before Matan Torah, whether prostitution should be viewed as as chait or, or as gnai or as something that was perfectly uh, legitimate, a transactional thing. We, now, today, obviously, the, the problem with prostitution today is that, it, is that it's not, it, it's often or usually not a woman doing it of her own free will. Prostitution is deeply intertwined with human trafficking, with uh, women being pressured or forced or manipulated into prostitution, drugs, and so on. I, I don't really have numbers, but it, it's a relatively small, I think, choice of women who out of their own free will decide this is the career that they want. So it's difficult to really discuss prostitution in the abstract without uh, discussing the trafficking aspect of it. But anyway, there, there are, as we've seen, there are a number of midrashim which seem to assume that her conduct was immoral. This one, for example, is saying that they told her, even if your sins are kashani, that you have tikva, you have hope. We mentioned that we mentioned last week, I think, that when it says they lowered her, it says she lowered them out of the window. Bachevel it says that she lowered them out. She lowered them down. It says bachevel so the midrash says that the but by the same things that she that by the same things that she sinned she sinned with the chalon and the chevel she she would have her clients secretly climb up to her through through the through the through the chevel through the window with these things that you sinned with these things now you're doing a great mitzvah you're helping the, the spies the Jewish people you'll get a, you'll, you'll 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 be niskaper so there definitely is a, a, a solid midrashic uh, approach that, that that her conduct was sinful but nevertheless uh, her tshuva was accepted as we mentioned previously. There, there are Madrashim that say that she married Yoshua. There are Madrashim that say that she had eight uh, famous prophets who, who were among her descendants. There are Madrashim that, 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 that she achieved a, a great place in the history of Kali Yisrael, socially, religiously, that she achieved great things. And it's a lesson for this time of the year. It's a lesson, it's a lesson of tshuva, that despite the fact that she had been on a, on a relatively low spiritual madrega before, by, 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 by coming to the realization that Hashem Hu Elokim, by coming to the realization that she needs to do the right thing, 
and help the Jewish people and, and, and reject the reject the, the her own people who were not deserving of her of, of her support. She, she Hashem told, completely accepted her tshuva and uh, Hashem completely accepted her tshuva. And she was able to marry Yoshua, the, 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 the one of the greatest, I guess, tzaddikim of the Jews of that time. And she had, she merited uh, to, to, have, to, have a, to have a tremendous lineage of of uh, descendants who who were who were neviim, who were on a tremendously high spiritual level. Another instance, by the way, of this idea of the of the shani representing hate, red, red, red is the color of sin, and white, and white is the color of purity. Is the in the Vod of Yom Kippur we're going to read that they they, they used to tie a a red uh, also a, a shani or a red cloth to the horns of the goat that was sent to Lazarzel pushed off the mountain. They would also tie a red thing to the a corresponding red thing to the to the base of Mikdash. And if Hashem accepted the kapara, it says they would turn white, and that would be a simon that the that that the shani of the of the chait, uh, the, 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 the the shani symbolized the the redness, the the taint of chait turned to white, and that that would that would be a sign that Hashem was accepting their tshuva. So they had the, the tikvas chut hashani, where we have these different explanations of exactly what the what tikva is, but but uh, the tikvas chut hashani, the she she was to hang in the window, tikshri bachalon. Put it in the window, the same window that you lowered us. Uh, put the hang this in the window, and then if you do so, your father, your mother, your brothers, your whole you, the, the whole family of your your whole father's family, gather them all into your house. It occurs to me. I was just thinking. It occurs to me that originally when it describes her family, she asked for Avi, Imi, father and mother, Achai, brothers and sisters. And all their uh, and all their uh, all their all their things. Here, here, the spies only say father, mother, and brothers. They don't say. And she also, they also said it's called Beisavik. They also said called Beisavik. Maybe that was coming to include the sisters. But it's interesting that they don't mention explicitly sisters over here. Sometimes in Hebrew, also brothers can include. In Hebrew, the masculine often comprehends the, the feminine. When you have a group or a def or a unspecified gender, you often say masculine that includes both. But either way, the, the wording is slightly different. There it says, earlier it said, Achyosai, it didn't say Kolbe Savich. Here it says, Kolbe Savich doesn't say Achyosai, but presumably it was, it, it was more or less the same thing. Right. So, right. That's an interesting question. Uh, the, the, the Daniel's alluding to the, what, according to the gun we said before, she had two parts of her house, the part in the wall, where she lowered them out of sank, and the part, the inner part, didn't. So, if the rope was tied to the outer part, how did that, how did that part stay up? Maybe some of it stayed up. Maybe somehow, yeah. I have to look into that further. If, if I, I'll maybe next week, if I can find anything about that, I'll, I'll mention it. But yeah, that's an interesting question. Obviously, we have to somehow work out how the how that thread was still there if that part of the house, if, if, if the wall sank into the ground, because they would be invading after the wall already sank into the ground. So, how did that? We'll, we'll have to. Good question. I have to think about that further. So, gather everyone into the house. So, gather all them into the house. And then they specified further, the rules are as follows. They said, they said that the, they said that the, oh, so the, the, I'm sorry, the Radak actually addresses that. I, 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 I've forgotten that. The Radak says, Vamru um, Hazeh, they said that you shall, the, I'm sorry, that, that's something else. The Radak says, Vamru, they said, this red thing, I mean, they saw something around her house. They, they, she didn't have to go out and buy this. They saw that she had some kind of red, red thread. 
she said, uh, she said that they said, hang this up. Now, we'll see a discussion about when she was going to hang it up, now or later when they invaded, but we'll get to that soon. But in the meantime, the, 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 the spy said, anything that exits the doors of your house, anything that does not stay within the, within the, bound, within the bounds of the walls of your house, then if he, if he gets killed, Dumb of Rosho, his blood is on his own head. We're not responsible. Rashi goes to the point. Rashi says, I'm sorry, Rashi says, He's responsible for his own death by choosing to violate these rules and leaving the protected space. He's responsible for his own death. If we kill somebody because he left your house, we're not responsible. We're Nikiyim and he's responsible for his own death. However, what, what, what we're granting you is, anyone who remains with you in the house, in this protected space, the sanctuary of your house, then indeed that blood will be on our head, we'll be responsible in Yadtiyabo. If anyone kills him, we, we accept responsibility for that. We saw earlier, some say they meant we'll even protect them with their lives if anyone tries to kill them. So that's what we're responsible for. We're responsible for anyone who follows the rules and stays within the protected boundaries of your house. Anyone who does not, it's his own fault for uh, it's his own fault for for leaving, and we are not responsible. That that was the main rule. That that was one of the two conditions that they said. And so I mentioned earlier that that that, that there is a there's a question about when when she was to put this red thread up. He told her, "Tikshri b'chalon, tie it in the window." So after she finishes this whole conversation, it's going to say. And she tied the, the thread on the window. The circum seems to indicate she tied it right away. It says, before the spies even returned to Yeshua, it says she tied the thread. Some say it means she tied it later, meaning the, the Nabi's telling you, yes, eventually when it came time to do it, when the Jews invaded you know, later, she, then she tied it. Some say she tied it right now. What would the argument be for tying it now or later? So some say, why would she tie it now? Why would she start making signs? Maybe, maybe, people, maybe people would even get suspicious now if they saw something hanging from her window, a strange thing. Why would she tie it now? Wait till it's necessary. Others say just the opposite. Others say at the time of the battle, if they saw her hanging a, a signal from her window, people would say, are you communicating with, with the enemy? You're hanging signals in your window? That people would... Uh, she hung it now. People, the, the, there was no suspicion right now. There was no enemy around right now. No, no, nobody would think there was anything going on. So it was actually safer for her to hang it now. So, so we, we actually find both, uh, both explanations in the Rishonim, the, the Psukim that we're going to get to a little bit later when it says, it says right now, it says Batikshar, it says she tied it, so the Radak says, Lokashroso Atta. The Torah says eventually she did it, and she, eventually she did it as she, was, as she was supposed to do. That's what the Mishudas David says, but they bring that, uh, that's the Mishudas David and Radak, but they mention that some of Arshim say, the Arbanel, I think, the Malbim, some of Arshim say that she actually tied it now to avoid, uh, to avoid the suspicion that would have happened had she, uh, had she done it later. Okay, but either way, that was, that was, that was condition number one was that she, people had to stay inside the house if they wanted to live. Condition number two is, if you tell anyone this secret, this condition, that uh, in your house they're safe, then again, then once again, we will be we will be free of the will be free of the promise. We we had this earlier already. They they had earlier said that you can't tell anyone. They said uh, back in Pasuk Gedalad they had said if you don't tell anyone, then uh, then. Then we, uh, th- then our promise holds, and uh, the problem was that they were afraid that that other people would take advantage and hide inside, 
the Jews were commanded to kill everyone except Rachel's family. You know, people would people would load would, would all run into their house. They wouldn't they wouldn't know who to kill. They they, they couldn't kill anyone because they'd be afraid of killing Rachel's family, and they couldn't. Uh, but but they, they didn't want to leave the other Canaanites alive, so, 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 so they wouldn't know what to do. So they said uh, this will interfere with our mission. So if you tell anyone, then, then, then our promise is void. We're just going to kill everyone because we're, we're not going to know how to, how to sort them out. So make sure you don't tell. If you don't tell, we can be reasonably sure that people in your house are only your people who were, who were sworn to protect. Then, we'll, then we'll, fight, we'll keep our promise. But if you tell other people and other people come in, then, then we have no, uh, no further responsibility to you. So that's what they said. But Tomer, she told them, Kedivrechem Kenhu, agreed. I accept, the, I understand the rules. I accept the rules. She sent them away and they went away. Not exactly clear what it means. The Torah says, She sent them away. What did she do exactly? The Radak says it means she said goodbye. She said, She said, you know, go in peace. Uh, we're, you know, we're done. We're finished. And we have an understanding. And now, now you can go. Others say, the Masuda Stavid says, that it just means they followed her instructions. So she said, go to the mountain, tie there for three days. And they did so. So she sent them, meaning she told them what to do. She... she, she she gave them a plan of a plan of action, which they carried out. That, that, that's what it means. But the Shalchan just means these instructions that she said, go hide in the mountains, that constitutes her sending them away. They, they went. And then she hung the, 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 red, uh, the red string, the red cloth in her window. Again, we just mentioned there are different interpretations as to whether this Pasuk is written anticipates the future. It means she eventually did it as per her instructions. Or I mean, she did it right now. As we said, some say she did it right now. But either way, she put this Chod Hashani in the window. So the spies... The picture, I think, is typically simple past. But picture... Um, yeah, I think it's simple past. Yeah, if it would be continuous, it could mean maybe that she you know, prepared to do it or she did it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, but it seems to be simple past. The men went and they, they, they went to the mountains as per her instructions. And they, they, they stayed there in the mountains three days until the pursuers returned to And the pursuers searched on the road. They, they didn't look in the mountains, I guess, but they, they searched on the road. They couldn't find the spies. The spies successfully evaded pursuit. They, they made their escape. Subsequently, the, the two men, the two spies, they they returned. They they, they descended from the mountains. And they, they they traveled back. They they they, they arrived. They arrived at Yeshua ben Nun. We mentioned that some of Rashim emphasized that one of the differences between the spies of Yeshua and the spies of Moshe is that the spies of Moshe were answered to the populace, they made, they made a public report, which, which, which had a terrible consequence of demoralizing everyone. One of the differences was that Yeshua, Yeshua's spies reported only to him. The mission was not public, it was kept secret, even from the Jewish people, and it was a, a confidential, private matter. And, and therefore, therefore, Yeshua, I guess, could control what would get disseminated, how it would be disseminated. So, obviously, we said, some of us should say the point was to inspire the Jewish people, but the, Yeshua heard the report first in confidence, I, so, so he could control it, I guess, before it got to the Jewish people. They came to Yeshua Benun, they told him their adventures, they told him all that had occurred, the, including the fact that the... That the, the, they, they included, the, including the fact that the that Hashem saved them from the Canaanim and, uh, and, and and Hashem and Hashem, Hashem helped them and took care of them. 
they told Yeshua the final element of their report was we see from all this, we see from the, what Rachav told us, we see from the, the, the success we had, that Hashem has given the whole land into our hands, we have confidence that we will succeed, and also that the people have melted, that they have, this was the language of Rachav, Rachav had told them, Rachav had told them that, that, uh, that she said, Back in Pasuk Tesh, she said, Yadati Hashem I know that Hashem has given you the land, and that's what they told Yeshua, Hashem Then she said, Your terror has fallen upon us. And the third thing she said was, the, the spirits of everyone, all the inhabitants of the land, has melted before you. And that's what they said here, They reported uh, an, an abbreviated version of what Rachav told them. Rachav went on, we heard about the Kriyas, Kriyas Yamsuf, and the two Malchai Amari, Sichon and Og. I don't know if they told all that to Yoshua, they told some of that to Yoshua, they told him, uh, things, look, things are looking good, they, they, their morale is shattered, we, we, should, we, we, will, have no, we will have no problem, the, we will conquer the land. And the next parak, which we will start, Mir uh, Hashem, the next time we learn, the next parak deals with their inv- with, uh, with preparations for the crossing the Ardain as a precursor to the invasion of Eretz Canaan and Yericho. Just mentioned briefly one other point, going back a few psukim. So we started today, we, we, start, we started by, by noting that, uh, or toward the beginning, we noted this thing that, that she told them three days, that you should hide for three days, and then the pursuers will, will give up. And we mentioned the Midrash that that was Ruch HaKodesh. Hashem had given her Ruch HaKodesh. So one other point we should raise about that idea is that it's interesting that Kalev and Yoshua, Kalev and Pinchas, the, the two spies according to the Midrash, and other Midrashim were, were, were great tzaddikim. Pinchas was such a, was such a great tzaddik we discussed if he was like a Malach Hashem. He could even be invisible. Kalev was a great tzaddik as well. So you, you, you have to wonder if it was a question of Ruch HaKodesh, why did Hashem have to send Ruch HaKodesh through Rachav? Why couldn't he just give the spies their own Ruch HaKodesh? This is a question that comes up in other places in Tanakh as well. So, for example, I think we mentioned the Shita of the Ralbag, that many of the references to Malach in Tanakh actually refer to human beings, to Nevi'im. Malach means messenger, and many references to Malach in Tanakh, the Ralbag says not all, but many references to Malach refer to human Nevi'im, messengers of Hashem. In particular, the, the Ralbag understands that the story in Parshas Vayera where three men appeared to Avram, and they told him, you're going to have a child in a year from now. Then they went to Stome, and they overturned Stome, and they rescued Lot. Those, th- those three individuals who are referred to in the beginning of the story, in the context of Avram Avinu as Anashim, later in the context of Lot as Malachim. So the, the traditional approach is those were angels, those were Malachim. But the Ralbag says those were human Nevi'im. Those were human beings who were, who were sent first to give Avram the good news that he would have a child, Yitzchak, and later the, to, to, to save Lot and to overturn Saddam. So the obvious question is, Avram, surely Avram was a greater Navi than these people. Avram is a, is a figure who's, who's our ancestor, who's come down as one of the greatest tzaddikim in history. Avram is one of the most, surely one of the greatest Nevi'im in the history of Kal Yisrael. And you'd think that if Hashem wanted to give him news about, uh, give, him, give him a nevuah about uh, a child, Hashem would have appeared to him directly. Why did Hashem have to send Nevi'im, other Nevi'im, anonymous Nevi'im, who we've never really heard from again? Instead of, if they were Malachim, then that, that was, that's how nevuah occurs. Sometimes it occurs through Malachim. But if they were just human beings, does Hashem real, why would Hashem have to send uh, a message to Avram through other anonymous Nevi'im instead of just giving him a nevuah himself? I don't know. There are, I'm sure there are ways to answer that question. But a similar point that we can raise about Rachav. If, uh, if Rachav was being given Ruach HaKodesh about the best ways for the spies to escape, you have to wonder why, uh, why Kalev and, and Pinchas 
according to the Midrash, there was Kalev and Pinchas, why they couldn't have this Ruch Kodesh themselves. Perhaps it was a special schar for Rachav. Hashem wanted to give her a sign, wanted to show her that uh, he was accepting her tshuva and then reassure her that, 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 that her past was not going to count against her. So Hashem wanted to give her a kind of uh, a dividend, give her a, give her a, a reassurance that, that, her, that, that, that her tshuva was going to be accepted. But either way, according to Chazal, Rachav was already beginning to, uh, already beginning to have some kind of nevuah, Ruch HaKodesh at this point. And that's, and that's how she told them that's how she told them that there would be that they would be safe after hiding in the in the mountains for for three days. So this is how the story of the spies ends. They made their report to Yeshua. Again, we're not told whether they that whether they then went and uh, whether they then went and uh, whether Yeshua then went and disseminated the report to the people or not. But this is the successful end of the mission. Hashem, they escaped. Hashem saved them. Made the deal with Rachav. They reported to Yeshua. As we said, the next parak, parak Gimel, is going to begin. With the with the preparations for crossing the Yarkin. Right. So that's a very interesting question. That's a very interesting question. Daniel is raising the question that the that they made a promise to her that will spare your life. Did they have the authority to do that? A, it was, they were not the leaders of the Jewish people, and they were not God. God had said, she was apparently a Canaanite, so on what authority did they have? You have this in, uh, in, modern, in modern accounts of spying as well. People sometimes ask spies for, uh, you know, to make assurances, or to, the, the spies want assurances from their handlers, the people in the, in the espionage business sometimes want certain commitments. The question is, who has the authority to make those commitments? That's a very interesting question. So, on, 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 did, apparently, the spies did have. The, it seems like what, what they did was accepted. Was accepted. Was was considered legitimate. It's an interesting question. Bli Nedra will try to look into that. that, that see, we can find any discussion of what authority the spies had to make this exception to a biblical command of Lo Sechayeh Kol Neshama.